0: Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey,
1: everyone. Welcome to episode number 177 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I Mark McEvely bring you into our world of financial markets and financial planning. So good afternoon, Matt.
2: Good afternoon, Mark. We got uh, U.S. playing in the World Cup. Nick Whitaker, Director of Research, reminding us that it's it's about 27 minutes. Two o'clock. Two o'clock, yeah. Excited for that. We got a lot of big college games this week.
1: Yeah, especially uh, the big one in in our neck of the woods here in the Midwest is obviously Ohio State-Michigan. Yep, uh, yep. Both who got tested pretty good this past weekend. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Michigan only uh, won by a, like a last second field goal and Ohio state uh, was tested by, by Maryland, but two undefeated teams going into uh, arguably the biggest game of the year. Uh, so that's going to
2: be interesting. It's the way I want it. Who do you got? OSU. Cause I'm in Ohio here, baby. So yeah, absolutely. Let
1: me, let's see what the uh, the point spread
2: is on this game. That should be take, interesting. Take a guess. I'm going to guess OSU by two and a half. Let's see. OSU by two and a half is the guess. OS,
1: as it stands right now, OSU by seven and a half. That's uh, that's a lot of points for that close of a game with two teams that are, as of right now, in the uh, top four. Is, is that what in, home uh, in field advantage is worth these days? I guess so. I guess so. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, well, yeah, that's going to be, it's going to be a fun weekend. I'm sure everyone's looking forward to the, uh, the shortened holiday week and, uh, shortened trading week.
2: Yeah. I Um, mean, going back to trading and and what we do for a living, you know, the markets closed on, of course, Thanksgiving half day on Friday closes at 1 PM Eastern time.
1: Yep. So yeah, so looking looking forward to, to another good week and hope everyone uh, enjoys time with family and friends for, uh, for Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Uh, so before we begin, Matt, as always, just want to take the first few yep. minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on November 18th. S&P 500 index is up 2.4% for the month and down 16.8% for the year. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 3.1% for the month, down 7.1% for the year. NASDAQ Composite Index up 1.4% for the month and down 28.8% for the year. The Russell 2000 small cap index up marginally 0.2% for the month and down 17.5% for the year. And then finally, the Vanguard All World Ex-United States ETF up 9.5% for the month and down 18% for the year. The three-month treasury rate at 4.34%, the two-year treasury rate sitting at 4.5%, and the 10-year treasury rate at 3.8% two percent um so moving right along matt to big headlines and current events uh pretty good uh positive uh producer price index data also known as ppi that came out here recently following the cpi or consumer price index uh report a few weeks ago that was uh very good uh came in lower than than expected and the same thing happened uh with the producer price index so uh, for the month of October, we just got those numbers for October, and October core PPI month over month was flat, and it was estimated to increase by 0.3%. That's huge. Uh, that's that's massive. That's massive. The uh, October core PPI year over year is up 6.7%, but it was estimated to be 7.2%. And then the regular uh, PPI month over month was up 0.2%, the estimate was 0.4%, and the year-over-year PPI uh, was 8% when the estimates were 8.3%. So uh, pretty good numbers there. Do you want to just give a a brief 30-second overview of, of what the PPI is, Matt?
2: Yeah, so um, the government does two calculations on inflation every month. One is going to be the consumer price index, which we uh, previewed uh, two weeks ago in podcast one seventy five. You and I held the call uh, the day before that number came out, and that's going to measure inflation on a consumer level. The PPI does it on a industrial or manufacturing level. So you know who's actually making the goods, what are they experiencing as they try to pass that on to the consumer, and right. so you know we are seeing it at the source, at the production source. We're seeing inflation come in too, and I and I can't uh, say this strong enough. I, I said it pretty strong on podcast 175, the day before CPI came out. I am spiking the football on this. <laughs> that um, you know, don't be surprised if this information comes in a lot softer than people are expecting, and it caught the market off guard. We had a phenomenal yeah. day that Thursday when that news came out. Two most important dates. I'm going to throw it out there right now. The rest of the year. December 13th, we're getting CPI data for November. The very next day on the 14th, we got the Fed announcement. That is the Super yeah, Bowl big, for the market Bill, it is. In, in those two days.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And definitely going to dictate, I, I feel like, what things are going to be like over the next month or two months uh, to start to start the new year. So that's going to be uh, yeah, very important month this year in December um and then finally uh obviously that's been um you know very heavily talked about in the the mainstream media is the FTX blowup <laughs> uh and when we can talk about i mean we can talk about this for days so we'll try to keep it short and sweet here um and this kind of leads me into my first uh research uh from this past week and it was uh, a blog post from uh Brian G's Alpha Charts blog uh, titled What is Going On with FTX? So um two weeks ago, Matt, um well, hold on. FTX is a was a cryptocurrency exchange where you know people could go buy or sell different cryptocurrencies, uh different tokens, different coins, um, and, and was widely known, right? I mean, they had a lot of sponsored athletes, for example, like Tom Brady uh doing Super Bowl commercials, I think. FTX Arena was where the heat played. Um, So, you know, talking about a a pretty well-known big company and what people thought was that they were the uh, premier company where people would go and trade cryptocurrencies. And, you know, there was a lot of trust and faith put into the founder and the company. And, you know, we had this story blow up uh, just about two weeks ago. Um, so it was the downfall of FTX two weeks ago, and it was once the second largest crypto exchange. Um, and again, this was all over the, the financial news. And we're still getting information, Matt, and the story is still unfolding. But accusations are that the FTX founder, Sam bankman Freed used customer funds held on the FTX exchange to cover losses in his hedge fund, which was called Almeida. Um so pretty, pretty shady stuff going on right there.
2: Um, we, we live in a world of segregation of client assets, right? Right, Crypto yeah. Crypto still so that's, in a world of commingled client assets. I, right, look, exactly. I don't mean, and, to, I'll let you continue. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, this is arguably, I think, the,
1: the biggest scam uh, going back to Bernie Madoff, right? And it was kind of the same situation. There wasn't a, a third-party intermediary acting as a custodian, and you had you know, client funds literally going into uh, Madoff's bank account. Um, Kind of a similar story here. Um, So the downfall started three Sundays ago when Binance, which is another crypto exchange, was going to acquire FTX, but decided against it because of the recent revelations that had come to light about Uh, FTX, but Binance didn't really give any details. But this got other crypto exchanges scrambling to provide what we call proof of reserves uh, to prevent a run on their exchanges. So if, you know, people get hints, for example, a simplistic example is, you know, that Chase Bank uh, had, you know, a quarter of the customer deposits uh, that they should because they invested the other or lent the other Uh, portion of the deposits out, people would start to get nervous and be like, hey, I'm going to go take my money out of of Chase while I still can before other people do and there's no money left. Quote unquote, Um, running the bank. Right, exactly. So on Friday morning, this was November 11th, uh, FTX and 134 of its companies declared bankruptcy. 134
2: within itself is a little nuts. That's crazy. And FTX
1: went from being valued uh, at zero to thirty-two billion, and then back to zero in just three years. Uh, it has over a hundred thousand creditors in between ten and fifty billion in liabilities. How is it um, that wide? It's crazy, man. And among its investors were Sequoia Capital, a, a big player big in private, the industry,
2: big, big private equity firm too.
1: Yep. Uh, unfortunately, on an, an Ontario teachers' pension plan, however, it was. I think it was only 0.9 percent of the the pension plan was invested, but not nonetheless. Uh, Tom Brady and the family offices of Jack Dorsey and founder Mark Zuckerberg,
2: Twitter. founder of yep. Facebook.
1: Yep. And if the story wasn't strange enough, 600 million in funds began moving from FTX crypto wallets mysteriously, like right after this story broke. Um, And it's currently it's been reported as a hack, but I I don't really think anyone knows what's going on. And uh, with all this going on, the founder, Sam Bankman Freed, was denying rumors that he had run off to Argentina. So there's a lot that that went into this story and there's a lot of stuff going on people were very confused as they should be um but let me give you a couple minutes here to to provide your thoughts on this map because there's a lot of people that that lost a lot of money here and it's not something i think to take lightly i mean you know me and you can sit here and be like oh we can you know you could have seen this coming with with crypto but um, this is why it's kind of like the the wild, wild west in, in crypto land right now and how, you know, me and you, you know, by law really aren't required to or excuse me, aren't able to provide advice on this stuff because it's really still in its infancy. Yeah, like there's we're, no, in,
2: we're, there's... we're in the first we're throwing warm ups
1: before the first inning,
2: you know? Yeah, I mean, there's no government. There's no real government regulation on this stuff yet, which is why. You know, when you and I are dealing with people's life savings and retirement, that's you can't invest in that type of stuff when there's no right. regulation on it yet. I mean, but I think ultimately, here's where I stand on this this is not for me a crypto issue, like the actual, like uh, the big players like Bitcoin and Ethereum. This is an mm-hmm. exchange issue. Mm-hmm. And I think what this is going to do is once you see adoption, um, and custodian of these large custodians like Fidelity, NFS, Schwab, uh, Pershing, TD Ameritrade, these larger institutions that are um highly ethical, segregate client assets. And what's gonna happen is is you're gonna see people want to use and house their their crypto at those exchanges rather than the ones that you see right now, like Binance and FTX and Crypto.com mm-hmm. and et cetera, and I'm not recommending for or against those names I just mentioned. But rather, I think people will look at it and say, well, if they're going to commingle client assets, I would even pay a little bit to have a custodian that a at a, at a manager that segregates mine than one that doesn't. And I think that's where the puck is going. This is, to me, not a crypto issue. This is an exchange issue. And the world that you and I live in,
1: issue, right? Yeah. I mean, the
2: world that you and I live in with securities, i.e., stocks, bonds, ETFs, et cetera, we've been living in this world for a long time. Crypto, as you said, is in the wild, wild west infancy stage. And now they're starting to learn really hard lessons. Oh, segregation of client assets. That's an important one. I got to remember that next time. And it's not me like saying that from afar but rather these are the things that you and I have to think about when we are dealing with other people's money. Right. And in people that are kind of doing it on their own, you know, they have to learn those lessons, unfortunately, and this is, this right. is unfortunately yeah, there, one of those. I mean, there are
1: people that, you know, sold everything to invest their money into to cryptocurrency. There are and, people
2: I've heard stories. That's, that's accurate.
1: Um, and it's just, it's just a, a sad situation. Um but this you know this stuff happens right there's been you know the, there's been books written on all of the financial you know scams that have gone on you know since inception and this one is is probably going to be at the top of the list but um it, it's really going to be interesting to see how this all plays out Matt, because you know the the theory behind you know crypto and the blockchain is that it's all like decentralized right so you don't have to depend on an institution or a it's third not meant party. to be regulated right exactly it's not meant to be regulated so i just think it's it's going to be really interesting how this is all going to play out and obviously this has been something that's been talked about deeply you know in congress and and through the government but i think this is even going to provide a, a more um eyes on it that the, you know the regulations when they do come out which i think they will will be pretty substantial. And I don't want to get into politics, but he also, uh, had, had donated significant amount of money, uh, the owner, um, to different people in Congress. Um, I heard he was upwards the, of he, 40 million.
2: I heard he was, uh, either a number three democratic donor for the last midterm election. Number three right. in the so country. That doesn't,
1: that doesn't look good,
2: uh, either, obviously, but yeah. Um, um I think, yeah, where I, again, where I'd, where I'd put a, a bow on this conversation, it's is going to be a, this is a custody issue. This is not a crypto issue, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, second thing I had was a tweet by Tom Pullen, uh on November 5th. And we'll have Jenna throw this uh, chart and tweet up for everybody here on the YouTube video, if you're watching, or you can check it out as our at our show notes uh, at Jessup Wealth on Twitter or Jessup Wealth Management on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, But Tom says, this has all been said before by lots of smart people, but it's worth repeating. Inverted yield curve episodes are followed by rising unemployment 100% of the time. So what this chart shows, Matt, is that the red line is uh, the yield curve of the 10-year U.S. Treasury note and the one-year T-note. Yep, um, and it takes you know the the ten year yield minus the one year yield, and again, in a normal environment, people would expect that the ten year yield would be higher than the one year yield because there's more time for uh, you know risk or uncertainty, uh, black swan events to happen in a ten year time period than a one year time period. And again, we've talked about yield curves and inversions and what that means. But when the one year T-note is yielding more than the 10 year, then that's indicative of an environment that's not normal. There's stress in the system and that people are pricing in more risk in the next year than they are over the next 10 years, which is, we know, are are, are not normal. Um, But what this chart shows in the black line, then, is the unemployment rate. And virtually, I mean, it looks pretty 100 percent accurate to me that Once we get a yield curve inversion of the 10 year and the one year, unemployment uh, tends to rise pretty soon after that. And I think, you know, we've been talking about this for some time now and, you know, people have been like, hey, we're not in a recession right now because unemployment, you know, we're still virtually at full employment. But I do think over over the next several months, over the next six to 10 months, you are going to see a spike in unemployment. Um, I just have no uh, reason to believe that this time would be any different. And you've already, you know, we've already talked about the layoffs at the big tech companies and, you know, engineering firms across the country. Um, So, again, just wanted to highlight this for people that, you know, I would expect some more poor economic data, especially on the unemployment front uh, over the next several months. And it could be coming, uh, you know, sooner than people think.
2: Absolutely. With what the Fed's doing has consequences. They know that. They got the dual mandate, 2% or less on inflation, annual inflation, full employment, and they are putting aside the full employment to get inflation under control. What's the collateral damage? Right, feel, eventually they're
1: going to have to deal with it, but they don't want to deal with it right now. That'll
2: be the secondary thing. I feel very strong that unemployment is going to go up, and but and I then I would argue that a lot of stocks and the economies, uh, the stock market, I would say, has priced that in, and things in Main Street America are going to get worse before they get better. I've said we've said that, and I I'm, that's this is just another proof that that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, last thing I
1: had, Matt, is another. <laughs> hot button uh, issue for a lot of people right now that uh, has been circulated in the in the media. It's an article from the Wall Street Journal on October 11th titled Federal Officials Trade Stock in Companies Their Agencies Oversee. Shocker. So I thought this was interesting, Matt, because at the conference we were at a couple of weeks ago, um, we had a gentleman talk from uh, Fidelity, who uh, there was a question asked about what he JJ? thought about, yeah, what he thought about you know, Congress uh, men and women being able to trade stocks in you know companies that their uh, department uh, oversees, uh, and we can get into that and what we think the answer is here. But I just wanted to read a little bit from this article, Matt. We started off by saying thousands of officials across the government's executive branch reported owning or trading stocks that stood to rise or fall with decisions their agencies made. Uh, more than 2600 officials at agencies from the commerce department to the treasury department during both republican and democratic administrations disclosed disclosed stock investments in companies while those same companies were lobbying their agencies for favorable policies that amounts to more than 1 in 5 senior federal employees across 50 federal agencies reviewed by the journal A top official at the Environmental Protection Agency reported purchases of oil and gas stocks. The Food and Drug Administration improperly let an official own dozens of food and drug stocks on its no-buy list. A Defense Department official bought stock in a defense company five times before one new business with the Pentagon. Hmm. That's insane. Hmm. While the the government was ramping up scrutiny of big technology companies, more than 1,800 federal officials reported owning or trading at least one of the four major tech stocks, Facebook, Google, Apple, and Amazon. More than five dozen officials at five agencies, including the Federal Trade Commission and the Justice Department, reported trading stock in companies shortly before their departments announced enforcement actions such as charges and settlements against those companies. More than 200 senior EPA officials, nearly 1 in 3, reported investments in companies that were lobbying the agency. EPA employees and their family members collectively owned between 400,000 and nearly 2 million in shares of oil and gas companies on average each year between 2016 and 2021. At the defense department, officials in the office of the secretary reported collectively owning between 1.2 and 3.4 Million of stock in aerospace and defense companies on average each year examined by the journal. Some held stock in Chinese companies while the US was considering blacklisting the companies. About 70 federal officials reported using riskier financial techniques such as short selling and options trading, with some individual trades valued between five and 25 million. In all, the forms revealed that more than 90,000 trades of stocks during the six-year period uh, occurred. Finally, when financial holdings caused a conflict, the agencies sometimes simply waived the rules. In most instances, (laughs) identified by the journal, ethics officials certified that employees had complied with the rules, which have several exemptions that allow officials to hold stocks. Uh, that conflict with their agencies work. So, you know, my takeaway from this article, Matt, and from what I know about it, is there are rules about this stuff, but they're just not enforced and they're not followed. They're just waived. And I think this is, you know, something that is is really kind of disturbing because you have politicians all the time being rah rah about certain industries and just picking one, for example, not to favor Democrats or Republicans, but obviously, uh, like big oil, right, and and energy in this country and the push towards green energy. But you have people at the, the EPA that are buying up oil and gas stocks, or, you know, an even better example is the defense company, you know, publicly traded defense companies win contracts with the Pentagon all the time. And like, literally if that's not the definition of insider trading buying a defense company before an announcement of a contract was signed i don't know what is
2: thoughts I, I this is a tough one for me because you and i live in such a highly regulated world that for us this is we just live in such high regulation that when you when you see others quote unquote not playing by the same rules it just feels very unfair yeah, and it does. uh and, you, you know it pissed and, people. Are yeah. pissed off. I mean, yeah, that's just kind of the, the, the angle I come at. Again, you and I are just used to living in a highly regulated world. Um, you know, entities such as the Securities and Exchange Commission. And when when others have similar um rules and, and don't play by them, that's that's um, obviously there needs to be some change there, right? Right. And you know.
1: Everyone's like, well, should, you know, should government officials be prohibited for from trading individual stocks? And I don't know if it's necessarily to go that far. I think that, you know, people should be able to trade in what they want. But if you're trading based on inside information that the public doesn't have, then that's obviously
2: an issue and again it
1: sounds like there's rules in place that are just not being followed so this
2: yeah to me this is not this is not tough you either invest the money in a blind trust so when you're president of the United States right you your money is in a blind trust meaning You know, you kind of specify how aggressive or conservative, but you're not making the day to day decisions on that investment. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of these higher officials need to have something similar or it needs to be at a custodian to where they will not allow those trades unless it's written by signed off by compliance or whoever, you know, the the ethics officials are. They certify, Okay, Mark's able to place that trade. Right. It's not that hard. It's no different from an insider of a company. Right. That insider, the company has to run that trade by an ethics committee or compliance. Uh, it's not that hard. The infrastructure is yeah. already there.
1: Or if they or if they want to keep doing it, um, you know, because who in Congress is going to vote to uh, have stricter policies or stricter punishments for these things not being, you
2: know. Well, yeah, this is the same entity followed, so that votes their own raises. Happen. Right.
1: Exactly. So or. You know, have it where that day or the day after you place that trade, you have to disclose disclose that like within 24 hours of placing that trade, so that everybody else can be like, oh, so and so, Congressman or woman, absolutely big position in absolutely defense company that oversees that part of the government. It should be instantaneous. Wild, it's wild to me. So uh, that's gonna that's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of years because there's. There's eyes on it now. And there's, you know, there's people on Twitter and there's services out there that you could subscribe and pay to, pay for uh to follow what different congressmen and women are doing in their trading accounts. We uh, talk about it once I...
2: in a while on our investment committee, yeah, don't
1: we? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Somehow, Matt, some way, a lot of these men and women have uh, better track records than some pretty legendary professionals in our industry. So
2: I wonder how that is,
1: Mark. I'm sure. I'm sure nothing's nothing's going on, though.
2: Hmm, right? That's interesting. <laughs> Turn it All right, to you. I got three good ones this week. I'm going to start with a little bit of a Debbie Downer. All right,
1: and then so... you're bring us back.
2: All right, then then I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to (laughs) start you low. I'm going to bring you back. So here we go. First one, lending standards are getting tighter. This is according to top-down charts on November 13th. Um, Jenna's going to put up this chart. Uh, It's going to show tighter lending standards could, this says will, tighter lending standards could weigh on profit growth. This is according to top-down charts. Bank loan officers um have a greater chance of saying no right now um now this is from top down charts i talked about this uh the other day with regards to commercial real estate banks are starting to tighten up their criteria and conditions mark by which they make lending decisions and reporting weaker demand for loans this is typically what you see in a downturn shocker
1: you, you shouldn't yeah you shouldn't be surprised by this right because you know they're you know, there's been things put in place uh, after 08 to make sure they're not lending to people that aren't going to be able to pay pay the money back, right? Absolutely.
2: You know, the days of the uh, walking in and telling the, the loan officer, um, you know, we had Matt Edwards on in the past, oh, hey, my income's 200000 and there's no proof of your income? Right. That's not, that's not happening. No, those but days are gone. You can see on the chart that normally... Profit growth decreases when lending standards are tighter. Not shocked by this. But again, here's what I want to challenge the narrative right now in the market. When you look at valuations, you look at what people are expecting earnings within the S&P to really come down next year, I question that. And so I just want to throw this out there. I think the market is overly pricing in. A worst-case scenario for overall profitability going down than what might actually take place. I just want to throw that out there, that the market's pricing in a lot of doom and gloom uh, in the form of a drop in earnings next year.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And it's funny you say that. I was reading a piece from Bespoke that uh, you shared with me, Um, and it talks about the same thing. I mean, I think the. The beat rate uh, is still hovering in like the mid 60 percentage uh, right now. And, you know, I think people can make the argument that it it should be lower than that with how much damage has been done in the stock market. And I'm sure, you know, there will be a slowdown to a certain extent. Right. But like you said, I don't right now people are still spending money and um, I don't see a huge deterioration. Again, I see a slowdown, but, um, I don't think it's going to be this, you know, drastic loss of profitability that everybody has been rah-rahing on mainstream financial news media.
2: Agreed. My uh, next thing is raw economic data is indicating a slowdown. So this is a tweet by the founder of Freight Waves, Craig Fuller, on November 15th. Freight Waves is a supply chain data analytics firm. Okay. So uh, Jenna's going to put up this chart uh, that he posted on November 15th. And the quote on the tweet says truckload spot rates have dropped to a new cycle low down from $1.61 a mile, uh, down to $1.61 a mile from $1.86 a mile a month ago. That's a 13% drop in the past month. So this is normally the time of the year when, say, retailers – You know, when they get low on inventory, they need it yesterday, Mark. Mm -hmm. And Usually the spot rate of the demand for calling up a trucking company and saying, I need this truck to be here and I need to get that truck to point B and you're going to pay top dollar. It's depressed. And I think that goes to show you the supply chains have gotten a lot better than it were during COVID. And I think it goes to show you that with what the Fed is doing it's bringing in inflation. This is one of these data. So when the data comes out for December or the data comes out for January and February and it shows inflation coming in, remember these conversations. The raw data like this is telling you it's happening. It should not be a surprise to the market, but most market participants have this stuck in their head. Inflation's going to be really sticky. It's going to be really sticky. I'm not seeing it in the raw data. And I want to throw it out there. I think the data is going to continue to soften the next couple of months. Don't be surprised when you see it.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been pretty crazy to see the the price drops in you know trucking rates, shipping rates, uh, you know, all across the world since since COVID because you had this huge huge spike, but now we're we're coming back to planet Earth here.
2: Yeah, and uh, I'll finalize. He actually had this as a subtweet to this. Uh, Craig said, quote, tender rejections. That's a measure of the percentage of contracted truckloads that companies turn down have dropped below 4% a new cycle low. So in essence, any business these guys and gals can get, they're saying yes to. And um, some comments were alluding to if you're a new trucker and you just got a brand new truck and you're paying a loan on that, you're probably barely getting by at these rates that they're paying at $1.61 a mile, when you include the cost to maintain the truck, diesel, et cetera. And um, you know, again, I think things are gonna get tough out there for for the trucking world. You know, they were uh, on top of the world the last couple of years, mm-hmm. right? They could charge a lot to move your goods. Right. Everyone needed it yesterday. Unfortunately, I feel bad for the sector. They're experiencing a 180 of that right now. And I, I feel bad for them to be to be blunt. Yeah,
1: that's gonna be tough.
2: All right, I'm going to bring it back now. My last piece is raw research from Bespoke Investment Group. I love these guys because you know what? This is hard data. Okay, this is hard data. So this is- Love a, um, dealing with data. Not love possibilities, not This forecasts. is not an opinion. This is raw data. This is from November 12th. Okay, now what I'm about to talk about is the S&P 500 index, I am going to discuss the most correlated periods to the last 12 months of the way the market has acted, what happens going forward. The data set they analyzed, Mark, goes all the way back to 1928. And so I am now going to quote bespoke. And then uh, in a minute here, Jenna's going to put up this chart here in a second. Are you ready for this? Hit me. You sitting down? I am. All right, here we go. The four most dangerous words in investing, Mark. It's different this time, or this is different this time, it says. And time and time again, market patterns tend to resemble patterns of the past. Under that premise, we compare the daily closing prices of the S&P 500 over the last year, 252 trading days, to every other one-year window going back to 1928. During that time, there have been seven other periods where the correlation coefficient between the closing prices and the comparable periods exceeded plus 0.85. And those... And and just,
1: sorry, to. I just wanted to point this out for people. You know, one is perfect correlation, right? Yes. Negative one is inverse correlation. So just so people have a gauge, 0.85 is pretty damn correlated.
2: So now Jenna's going to put up this chart for our YouTube visitors. Visitors, I would highly recommend our traditional podcast listeners go to our show notes on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook to see this. You're going to see this um, kind of table of data from Bespoke showing those seven instances. Okay? Just because patterns resemble each other now doesn't mean that the similarities will continue going forward. But until something shakes the market off course – It's good to be cognizant of how things have played out in the past, and I'm still quoting Bespoke here, Mark. Given the high correlation of the prior seven periods within the last 12 months, it's obvious that the market was weak during each of those periods. Shocker. The range of declines, however, varied widely, with a drop of less than 16% in 1982 period to a loss of over 60% in the year leading up to June of 1932. In the last 12 months, the decline of 16% would rank on the mild side relative to these other seven periods. Besides the period in August of 2001, which was the month before 9-11, the S&P was higher 3, 6, and 12 months later every time. And in each of those time windows, its median performance was over 10% on each of the gains. Additionally, while there have been seven periods where the correlation coefficient has been above 0.85 positive, in the three periods when the correlation was plus 0.9, so pretty pretty darn close or more, and it shows those, June of 32, January 1975, April of 09, and I've talked about the similarities of, of March of 09 before for our regular listeners, the S&P was up more than 30% um over the next year all three times so you look at this data this is not an opinion this is data factual data mark you get to go first yeah well i think it's
1: you know the proof's in the pudding here so to speak matt i mean it looks like performance uh going out you know even really one month three months six months and one year out from you know these dates uh it's Pretty, pretty impressive. Um, only a couple different times where you know markets were negative. And you know, like you mentioned, obviously before September eleventh, on all four of those time frames, uh, the market was negative looking forward, but that was the only one. And again. Small sample size, right? So we only have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these uh dates that were highly correlated or just shows you how
2: uncommon correlated. a year like this is. Just shows you it how uncommon. Yeah, it does.
1: But, you know, looking at this again, I know N is N is seven here, so it's, it's small, but, you know, this combined with a lot of other things that we've talked about this year, looking forward, Matt, and I know that that's tough for people to do, especially during, you know, tough times that we're experiencing right now. um, Again, it just goes into that pocket that we always talk about that it's never going to feel comfortable when it is the time to buy.
2: Absolutely, it won't. And I'm just going to say this again. People um, are overestimating how uh, quick this market could sell off compared to how quick, they're underestimating how quick it can come back. right? And so just as quick as this market has sold off and as bad as the second quarter was, the market has the ability to do the opposite. And that's the point I want to make. My, I'm going to give the compliance disclaimers here. And I'll say it again from what Spoke said. Just because patterns resemble each other now doesn't mean the similarities will continue going forward. And on top of it, past performance is not indicative of future results. But the raw data to me is telling me that, you know, there are brighter days ahead here. And once the market starts to move, the easy money is going to get made relatively quick. And -hmm. this is not a market that you can time. I would be invested for your risk tolerance, your goals and objectives. My words of wisdom, because this market at some point here is going to start to rip. And I think there's going to be a lot of people left at the train station after the train left. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's just how it always happens, right? Yep. yep. So, um, well,
1: yeah, also, thank you for that.
2: Yeah, I thought it would be nice to end on a positive note, because as we've said, the market tends to bottom before Main Street economy, Main Street America yep. does. And don't forget that. That's why I keep highlighting 09.
1: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So Back- moving on to the financial planning topic of the week. Uh, recently, uh, 2023 tax brackets, standard deductions, and a couple more items uh, came out, such as IRA contribution limits, 401k contribution limits. So I just want to highlight some of these things uh, for people. That so uh, 2023 tax brackets. If you are single, I'm just going to point out some of the uh, the more popular ones that people tend to fall into. Please, let's go. Uh, yeah. You're in the 22% tax bracket. Uh, If you have $44,725 of taxable income, all the way up to $95,375, that's the 22% tax bracket. Um, And then the highest uh, bracket, 37%, is for single people who have $578,125 or more in taxable income. And then again, for married filing joint, uh, $89,450. To one hundred and ninety thousand seven hundred and fifty, that puts uh joint married filing joint people in the twenty two percent tax bracket, and you have to have above six hundred and ninety three thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars of income to be in that top thirty seven percent bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, the twenty twenty three standard deduction. So for single people, it's thirteen thousand eight hundred and fifty. And for married filing joint, it's twenty seven thousand seven hundred. So, went up again this year. Um, and then there's uh, an additional standard deduction for people who have reached age sixty five or who are blind. Um, it's one thousand five hundred for each married taxpayer, or eighteen, uh, or excuse me, one thousand eight hundred and fifty. For unmarried taxpayers. And again, that's the additional standard deduction who are over 70, or excuse me, over 65 or who are blind. Um, IRA contribution limits. So the contribution limit for Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs uh, has been increased to 6,500 per year. And the catch-up contribution limit for people age 50 and over uh, does not get inflation adjustments and therefore is still $1,000. So Uh, if you're under 50, 6,500, if you're over 50, that's 7,500, uh, 401k, 403bs and, and 457s, um, the contribution limit for those is increased to 22,500 for those under the age of 50, for those over the age of 50, the contribution, the catch-up contribution, uh, has been increased to 7,500. So if you're over 50, you can sock away 30 grand this uh in 2023. The Fabulous. 401K. Fabulous news. Awesome. And then the maximum possible uh, contribution for a defined contribution plan, like a SEP IRA or uh, an owner-only 401k, increased to $66,000 this year. Great. Uh, health savings accounts. So, for 2023, the max HSA contribution for someone with single coverage under a high deductible health plan is three thousand eight hundred and fifty, yep. and the limit for someone with family coverage under a high deductible health plan is uh, just over seventy seven hundred at seven thousand seven hundred and fifty. Uh, again, the HSA uh, catch-up contribution for people age 55 and older is not inflation-adjusted, so it remains at $1,000. Uh, capital gains taxes, Matt. Um, again, just going to highlight a couple. If you're married filing joint, you have a 0% capital gains tax rate if there is less than $89,250 of taxable income. Goose egg. Yeah, exactly, which is... Pretty nice, right? Um, And again, if you're married filing joint, uh, 20% tax rate, uh, capital gains tax rate if taxable income is greater than $553,850. Nice. And again, just for single people, uh, you're in the 0% tax rate if uh, you have less than $44,625 taxable income. You're in the top 20% capital gains rate if taxable income is over $492,300. Uh, last two things I have, Matt. Before we wrap up, um, 2023, the annual exclusion for gifts will be seventeen thousand. So what that means, Matt, is any individual can give uh, another individual up to seventeen thousand per person and not have uh, any consequences for gifting that money.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if
1: I wanted to to gift money to everybody in my family, I could give. 17 thousand to my brother Matt I could give 17 thousand to my brother Ryan 17 to my mom 17 to my dad and you won't have any uh, gift tax on that so it's oh, yeah. per person that limitation
2: yeah and it won't go against your lifetime gift exemption if you go above that correct yep uh and then lastly the estate tax
1: exclusion has been increased to 12 million nine hundred and twenty thousand per person. Um, so, uh, people are are welcome to see that go up, uh, because that, uh, helps, uh, really everybody. So, yeah, I agree. Um, so that's it for the financial planning topic of the week, Matt, anything else you want to leave listeners with before we,
2: uh, end it here for the week? No, we get the jobs data uh, for November. I believe it's December 2nd. If they're going to have it ready that quick, it would be the first Friday. So that's going to be the next main piece of economic data I think people will be staring at. Um, light trading on Black Friday. So don't expect a lot of craziness that day. But no, I hope everyone enjoys Turkey Day with their uh, with their friends and family. And I hope everyone has a great holiday week.
1: Yeah, yeah, me as well. Well said. Uh, well, thanks everybody for tuning in to episode number one seventy seven of the Independent Advisors Podcast. As Matt said, uh, please enjoy uh, this time this week with with family and friends. Enjoy football. Enjoy the good food. Um, and we'll see everybody next week. Matt is on Ohio State, uh, even with a seven and a half point spread. So we'll we'll come back and follow follow up to see if he is accurate. We will see. All right, everybody. Take care.
0: Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict.